Hello, I'm clinical psychologist Peter Melinowski. I am an IFS therapist. We are continuing with our review of Internal Family Systems Therapy, second edition by Richard Schwartz and Martha Sweezy. We are now on chapter 10, which is feeling toward befriending and exploring protector fears. So in chapter nine, we reviewed the first three of the six Fs when we're working with parts. And now we're working with this, the fourth, fifth, and sixth F. Now we're assuming that we've identified a target part, we've focused on it, we've fleshed it out, gotten to know it a little better, and now we're going to check out how the client's self feels toward that part. Now when the client answers, we're going to find out if the target part is blended with the self, we're going to find out if a reactive part, maybe a part that's polarized with the target part, is blended with the client's self, and how much of the client's self is present. There's often multiple blends. Sometimes we need to ask a whole series of parts to step back and to create space. If, again, like we mentioned in the last chapter, if a, if a protector does not step back, we want to make sure that we work with that part to find out what the concerns are. This is where this model differs from other models that focus on overcoming resistance or going through resistance or skirting around resistance, kind of conceptualize this as resistance. We don't do that in IFS. Martha and Dick are very clear about how when there is, quote, resistance, end quote, it is an expression of real concerns that parts have that need to be taken seriously. So how do we know from asking how the client self feels toward the target part, how do we know how much self-energy that client has? Well, we're going to be looking at the eight C's. The eight C's. These take us right back to chapter three. The eight C's of being in self are curiosity, calm, confidence, connectedness, clarity, creativity, courage, compassion. We're going to be looking for those qualities in the way that the self describes its feelings toward the part. Now, when we notice that, you know, things like anger or fear or contempt or disappointment or frustration, other things like that, we know that's not the self. We know that that's another part that is blended with the self at that time. You also want to be careful for things that might be kind of counterfeits of the eight C's when there's a kind of pity rather than compassion, or when there's a kind of fascination or preoccupation rather than curiosity. The other thing that I recommend is that you look for more than one of the eight C's. Now, not all of the C's might be operative at any given moment. There might not be a need for that particular C in the self's experience of the part, even though there may be a fair amount of self-energy in the system. But we want to make sure that we are checking this out because sometimes self-like manager parts with their caregiving and their solicitude, their efforts to try to make things all right, are not in some ways impersonating the eight C's. And that can be difficult because sometimes these self-like manager parts also have some self-energy with them. So we want to look for more than one C. Doesn't mean that all of them have to be there. And we want to see kind of what that package looks like, sort of the experience of the self toward the part. If there's not a lot of the eight C's, but there's also not a lot of negative feelings towards parts, there still may be enough self-energy for that client self to work through insight. And we can check that out by trying some things, seeing if it works. 
all of this gets more familiar to the therapist with time and experience. If there is a lot of blending and a lot of concern about clients' protectors, we might have to switch to direct access at that point so that the therapist self can guide and lead the therapy for as long as is necessary before the client self can take over those roles. When we make that switch though to direct access, the important question is how the therapist's self feels toward the part, not the client self, because by definition, if you're using direct access, the client's self is probably compromised by blends and just not available enough to move the therapy forward. So we're gonna be looking at what's going on in the therapist system that might be polarizing or that might be colluding or that might be otherwise engaged with the target part in some way that's not helpful. So it can be that during this time, the therapist self needs to unblend and it is perfectly legitimate to take the time needed in the therapy if you're in a situation like that where you're doing direct access with a part with whom some part of you is polarized and has blended with yourself to be able to take that time and unblend. The room technique may be familiar to some of you from EMDR or other trauma modalities. It is used in IFS and it is part of this chapter and it's for when parts are so scared or when they're so scary that having those cl- those parts stay temporarily in a room is helpful to the other parts in the system and oftentimes to the part who is scared or scary itself because there's a way that there can be some sense of protection or some sense of safety. So that's an option. You can put the part in a room or a space that feels safe and comfortable to that part. That's the critical thing. This is not, you know, banishing a part, you know, sort of like get to your room type of sense that some of us experienced as a child, right? No, we want to, we want to be able to sometimes separate parts so that parts can all feel more safe and comfortable. The idea is to get physical separation so that there can be this opening of space to work with the system in a more constructive way. At this point in the chapter, Dick and Martha introduce the concept of self-like manager parts. And self-like manager parts are caring, they're solicitous, they can seem a lot like the client's self. They can be easily confused, especially by uh, therapists who are new to IFS. And so therefore, they're referred to as self-like. The important thing to remember about self-like manager parts is that they have an agenda. You know, just like any other manager to control other parts, again, if they're not infused with a lot of self-energy. These self-like manager parts really like to be in the driver's seat. They're familiar with it. They have experience in leading and guiding the client's system. They do it with varying degrees of success. And sometimes they can be really hesitant to relinquish that role to the client's self. Oftentimes these self-like manager parts don't know a lot about the client self or they don't trust the client self because their experience of the client self has been primarily when that self has been blended with other parts. All right, so if we've established in the feeling toward step, that's the, that's the fourth F, if we've established that there's sufficient self-energy, then 
we begin to work with the client's self befriending the target part. Now, this may again happen really spontaneously. If there's a lot of self-energy and if there's a real openness on the part of the part, if you will, if the part's open to that, it can happen really spontaneously, almost automatically. But sometimes parts are really wary. Sometimes they're very concerned. Sometimes they're more suspicious. And again, I think that's when parts have experienced the self only when the self has been blended with other parts with whom they've been polarized. So we want to take time with this and see what's happening. What are some signs that there's blending happening and that interference is happening with protector parts? Well, if the client suddenly gets sleepy, if there's rapid changes of subject, if there's impatience with the pace of therapy, all that is a cue that something's going on. It could be happening in the client. It could be happening in the therapist as well. And that all could indicate that a protector is trying to steer clear of an exile. The other thing, though, is that it could be in response to something going on in the, in the therapist's system. When we're dealing with these really vulnerable parts, or if there's a potential for vulnerability in the client, then there's a particular wariness and watchfulness over what's going on in the therapist system. So from the point of view of a protector, there's a real question as to whether there's enough confidence in the therapist self and in that protector's own self, right, as to see whether this would be okay, whether it would be safe enough. We want to, as therapists, make sure that none of our parts are causing problems, none of them are causing disruptions. And that can often be difficult with certain types of client parts that somehow trigger reactions within us. So befriending these manager parts includes listening to them, validating them, honoring them, right? We allow the protectors to set the pace. That's really, really important. We want to make sure that we're monitoring as therapists whether we're agenda-driven in some way and we're trying to push forward because some part of us is blended with ourselves and so forth. Once we've befriended them, once there's confidence developing between the client's part and the client's self, or if we happen to be doing direct access because the client's self is unavailable, between the client's part and the therapist's self, then we can get into exploring fears. Typically, before you do that, we want to make sure that we're reassuring protectors, that we're not trying to take anything away from them, that the protectors get to set the pace, that the protectors get to decide when we move forward and when we stop, that we're not trying to take any options away from them. They can go right back to doing what they were doing before if they feel like that is most helpful. We also can let those protectors know that they can have other roles once the client's exiles are healed so that they don't have to do the job that they've been doing for so many, so many years usually. We're looking for the constraints that keep the part in an extreme role. We also want to know what kind of role the part would prefer. And these questions, they can be used with all protectors, including the critical, judgmental, striving, perfectionistic managers. They can also be used with the firefighters that can be impulsive or indulgent. We can ask, why are you saying or doing this extreme behavior, whatever that behavior is? We can ask, what do you really want for, you know, in that point you put in the client's name, what are you afraid would happen if you stopped doing or saying this? We want to know like kind of what is the function of their behavior? 
if the client was able to keep the feared consequence from happening and you could quit this job and do anything you wanted to do, what would that be? And then we can ask them if they would like the therapist and the client's self to help that part get into a new role. We can kind of suggest that because it's true that there's other roles that that part could play once the healing has happened. Now, sometimes protectors are pretty blended with clients' parts, but the self still has enough energy to continue to lead the system. And we can be a little more directive in those situations, help out a little more. But we want to make sure that that's for as brief a time as possible. Dick and Martha are very clear about that. Because again, this is all about the client's self becoming more and more empowered. There's a beauty in hypothetical questions, because with hypothetical questions, you don't have to enter into an argument. You know, we can also say, hey, look, you know, we're just sort of thinking out loud here. This is hypothetical. It's really important not to assume that just because a client appeared for therapy that their whole system is in agreement with being in therapy. Sometimes there's one manager part, sometimes a self-like manager part who brings the client in, who's really the motivating force behind that client coming in for therapy. But there are a whole host of parts that are ambivalent about that or even opposed to it. And it's part of our job as therapists to engage those parts, address their concerns, and see if they can, through the client self, really engage in the therapy, find that it is actually something that is likely to be beneficial for them. Managers are generally driven by fear, many of which may not be valid now, but they were all valid at one point in that client's life. At one point, the part's experiences generated those fears. They didn't come out of nowhere. At some point, those fears were commensurate with the experiences that they had. So that's why it's important to address those managers' fears to make sure that we're understanding them. Now, what happens when we're dealing with dangerous firefighters that where there's a significant risk of suicide, where there's binging, where there's you know, self-harm in some way, self-mutilation? If the exiles that those firefighters protect, if those get too close, if we get too close to those, those firefighters may deploy. So we want to be able to check directly with the firefighters that we have gotten in contact with. And sometimes because these internal systems can be very delicately balanced, we need their permission too in order to approach exiles. All protectors, whether they're managers or firefighters, the number one fear is that the client will be overwhelmed by the negative feelings and beliefs, attitudes, desires, impulses of exiles. Right? The fear of emotional overwhelm motivates these protectors. It motivates managers to inhibit and it motivates firefighters to distract. And so we want to really make sure that we're working with the exiles when we come in contact with them so that they will not overwhelm the system. We preempt extreme reactivity from the firefighters and from the exiles by asking the exiles not to overwhelm the client with the intensity of experience. And that's the beautiful thing. The exiles can make that choice. Exiles can decide not to overwhelm with the intensity of their experience. And the fact that exiles can do that, that moves the therapy along really, really rapidly. Exiles may not always cooperate, but if it trusts the client self or if it trusts the therapist self, generally you'll get that agreement. Because most of the time the exiles are not happy with their current situation. It's not like it's working out for them. Sometimes exiles are angry because they've experienced the self as distracted, not helpful. 
that you know, unavailable, right? And so the XLs looked to other people to try to get their needs met, and that generally didn't work out. If the self, if the client self acknowledges that anger and apologizes, it's usually the case that the XLs feel better, feel heard, feel understood. There's a repair and a rapprochement between the part and the self. Sometimes there's a concern that protectors have that the intensity of the experience that the exiles carry is going to be too much for the therapist, right? So often when the client has been hurt by people in their external systems that have been authority figures, you know, that have been uh, sometimes previous therapists, that's a particularly difficult one. There can be a particular sensitization that the therapist is not going to be able to handle the intensity of the experience. There's a concern often that allowing an exile to express its intensity will lead to a therapeutic rupture. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that if therapists don't have a well-regulated system that is self-led, that actually could potentially happen. Sometimes it happens in subtle ways. But what happens is that therapists can sometimes transform. And again, this isn't intentionally, but into being cold or distant or impatient or distracted, which can confirm the fears of the client's protectors and their excels for that matter. So therapists who cannot take care of their own excels should not work with clients' excels. I'm quoting that directly from page 141. I think it's a really critical point. If a therapist is in the process of being overwhelmed or has difficulty regulating their own system so that exiles come up with the intensity of their experience and it's not being regulated, it's not going to be safe to work with clients' exiles. And the reason for that is because once that vulnerability happens within the client's system, once the, once the protectors step back, there's a great amount of responsibility that we have as clients because we're dealing in a very delicate and a very sensitive arena in a very sensitive space. Martha and Dick talk about three types of therapists that are particularly hard for clients protectors to work with. That is the opaque therapist, the therapist that doesn't give you much as far as responsivity, the fearful therapist, and the angry therapist. That can be very activating for client systems because of the previous experience that parts have had with people that have been like that with them in their lives before. When clients sense that the therapist is afraid, it's very hard to be in relationship. It almost requires, it sort of requires that the client take care of the therapist and assuage the fear. Anger in therapist is usually driven by a fighter fighter and that firefighter driven therapist can be bossy, cold, dismissive, punitive, intrusive, frustrating, and all kinds of problems come up in that. And, and that's not something that we want to subject our clients to. So we want to be in a good relationship with our firefighters when we are actively doing therapy. It's something that's really important for us as therapists to get to know our, our firefighters. We also want to make sure that we don't bring out a client's exiles when the external system is not safe. That's just unwise. It's unethical. We don't want to bring up that vulnerability if there is real problems in the external system. If there's active domestic abuse or there's, other, uh, there's another lack of safety, there's other ways that it's not safe at home or at work, we want to make sure that we're assessing that context. Sometimes protective parts believe that they are nothing more than their roles. 
And so they really need their roles in order to continue to exist within the client system. Frankly, other parts may be more than willing to try to eliminate them as well, right? Sometimes polarizations are so intense that some parts want other parts to die or to be eliminated. So this can lead to existential fears that, you know, that exist in parts. Again, we want to reassure them that all parts are welcome, that we value them. It's not about their roles. It's about them being a part of this system. When we begin to bring up the possibility of new roles, that implies that we're expecting those parts to stick around and that we actually want them to. Sometimes there's a belief that exiles are their burdens. Exiles can believe that about exiles can believe that about themselves, and protectors can certainly believe that about exiles. A lot of times, if that exile is really young, there's a lot of black and white thinking about this. And again, we really we're not going to approach this from a cognitive behavioral standpoint. We're actually going to approach this with an empathetic attunement, so that the part senses being valued, senses being cherished by the self. Sometimes managers can really hold on to the belief that the client has no self. This is particularly true of self-like manager parts who want to take on the role of self, not because they're power hungry or greedy, but because they feel like they have to. So in those cases, generally, we're, we're working in direct access and we're addressing the fears that these managers have if the self were actually to show up. Sometimes, again, they fear that they will no longer be needed. We can then discuss what kind of roles they could have in the client's system that would be better than the roles that they have now, more desirable. And sometimes parts believe that if the client's self shows up, that the therapist is going to depart because the therapy will end. They can hear that invitation to form a relationship with the client's self as a way of the therapist self trying to get rid of them, to end therapy. And then that might mean isolation. It might mean being cut off, being alone again. So we need to be able to be sensitive to that. Sometimes parts are worried about being judged if they allow access to some of the harm that parts have driven in the system. And sometimes... There's an idea that change will destabilize the system and lead to overwhelm. A lot of times it's because of a sense of grief or loss, sometimes sadness. A lot of times that grief is a necessary part of the healing experience, but parts can be very suspicious of it. All right, so just to review here, after we find the part, after we flesh it out, we're going to check to make sure that there's enough self-energy available so that the client self can work effectively with the target part and that's that feeling toward we're checking that out and if there is then we work on facilitating the self befriending the part so that we can learn about its fears right it's its motives we want to know what that part is worried about okay so that brings us to the end of chapter 10 i look forward to getting back together with you when we get into chapter 11 which is all about changing protector polarizations